Well, let's turn in our Bibles to Malachi chapter 3, or you can find us on version. And on the review, there's an outline you can follow along as we talk about the important message of peace today. I want to thank you, Miguel, for your kind words, and his wife and daughter are also with him this morning. It's an honor to have all three of you here in our service today. We're excited about continuing to partner with you. What a blessing that is. I have an association with Union University as a student, and I teach a couple of courses there. And if you've never been to Union in Jackson, it's a beautiful campus, and they're really working hard to improve it. There's also another building about a mile from the campus. It's a old circuit city, which is the defunct electronics company that Union bought this building and converted it to more education space. And it's a really nice building. It's a utilitarian building. And a lot of us in adult education, we go there because we don't need to be on campus with the dorms and the different student centers and all that. So one morning I go into that particular building and there was just something different that was going on. The support staff and the the custodians and the secretaries, they were scurrying about really busy, just with a different type of pace about them. In the lobby, some tables were set out, and there were bagels and cream cheese, and there were fruit trays and coffee with all types of special creams. I got kind of excited at that moment, you know, free bagels. And as I saw this, felt this different atmosphere, one of the the support staff told me, the president's coming. It took me a moment or two to realize it probably was not going to be the president of the United States. I don't know if he's in Jackson, Tennessee very often, if ever. And it was the president of our institution. Our president is a very humble man. You'll get to meet him next year as he's going to come here and preach. And so he doesn't need pomp and circumstances. But I guess because of the organizational chart and the fact that he's in charge, because he was coming to this kind of annex campus. There was just a different mood present. Anticipation creates a certain energy. When we anticipate a guest, and if it's a distinguished guest in our mind, we just have a different energy about us. Anticipation creates a different kind of focus. And anticipation creates a different kind of behavior. This morning, as we talk about peace, we're going to talk about a peace that comes specifically through Jesus. And when the prophet Malachi was giving words of correction to God's people, he also gave them a word of hope and a word of peace, anticipating the coming of the Messiah. Malachi spoke to the coming of Jesus, which happened roughly 2,000 years ago. And he also speaks to us today who are expecting Jesus in our present life. We expect his presence and then we know that the scripture tells us he is coming again in a visible, physical way. The scriptures today, I believe, tell us this. Here's the first thing. God is telling his people that, number one, he is coming. I want you to write that in your notes are probably, that's probably one you, you guessed when you saw the outline. It wasn't hard to anticipate what the answer to this fill in the blank was. 
It wasn't hard to anticipate on an Advent Sunday that I was going to give you that point. But it's often difficult for us to live with the type of anticipation for his coming that Jesus wants us to have and God wants us to have. Look at verse one of Malachi chapter three. See, I am going to send my messenger. Now, I want you to notice that the translation here does not capitalize messenger because it helps us here to understand that he's referring to John the Baptist in the first part of the scripture. And then in the second part of the same scripture, he's referring to Jesus. Malachi 3.1 says, see, I'm going to send my messenger, and parenthetically, that's John the Baptist, and he will clear the way before me. Then the Lord you seek will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger, notice to help us, they capitalize the word messenger in the translation. The messenger of the covenant you desire. See, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. There it is. Jesus is coming. John the Baptist prepared the way, and then Jesus came. Now, here is what we often, some of us, are drawn to. We, we are drawn to this type of connection between obscure scriptures in Ezekiel and Daniel and Revelation, and then connecting them to the digital newspaper and trying to say, well, this metaphor means that this is happening in the world today and that's a sign that Jesus is coming back. And and, and perhaps that's helpful at times and perhaps that is a measure of a sign, but the sign that Jesus is coming back again, now this is gonna be real deep, so can, can you pay attention here? The sign that Jesus is coming back again is the fact that Jesus already came once. The sign for Jesus coming is Jesus is coming he came once before, so he's going to come again. And so, so we see here that Zechariah, who was the father of John the Baptist, learns of God's plan unfolding through his life, through his son, who became known as John the Baptist, the one to prepare the way for Jesus. And I want you to see how Malachi 3.1 and other scriptures similar to it connects to the gospel. Luke chapter 1, verse 68. This prayer is so beautiful. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and provided redemption for his people. He has raised up the horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. Remember last week, we talked about the significance of the line of David. Verse 70, just as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets in ancient times. And that's powerful right there. Now that's referring to back, not only to Malachi, chapter three, verse one, but to many, many other examples throughout the scripture. God spoke through the mouth of his holy prophets in ancient times, and it was manifested in the life of Jesus. And in this case, in the life of John the Baptist, the messenger who prepared the way for Jesus. Verse 71 says this, salvation from our enemies and from the clutches of those who hate us. Now, 72 through 75 are good verses, but for the sake of brevity, let's go to verse 76. And child, you will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his way. So Zechariah is speaking this to his son, John, to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. That, That was precisely what the message of repentance was. People were not ready for the message of grace through Jesus until they 
realize their sinfulness through the ministry of John. Now, verse 78 and 79, these are two of my favorite Christmas verses, but they are underexposed in my opinion. I've yet to see them in little knickknacks that we put on the fireplace mantle yet. It hasn't got there yet, but I think these scriptures are incredible Christmas scriptures. Because of our God's merciful compassion, verse 78, the dawn from on high will visit us. We don't, we, we don't often think of Jesus being named the dawn. To shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace. Isn't that a beautiful scripture? That verse, the end of verse 79, shine on those who light in darkness and to guide our feet in the way of peace. The peace you are looking for today is through the person of Jesus Christ. That is the answer to peace. You do not find peace through wealth. You do not find peace through meditation techniques from the Far East. You do not find peace through any type of material items that you receive. You don't find peace even through a significant relationship in your life. You find peace through the presence of Jesus, the presence of the Holy Spirit. That is the true peace based off the scripture, based off the word of God. And so it is a gift for you during this Christmas season that is often stressful by our own choosing. Okay, we, we victimize ourselves by putting expectations upon ourselves that God hasn't given us. Often that our family that we want to please, they haven't put those expectations upon us. We put expectations upon ourselves and we unduly stress ourselves out at a season when God wants you to have extra peace. I, I just want to let you know, there's a gift for you today. The presence of God is a gift of peace to you. And one of the reasons you're here this morning is to refocus your life, to recenter your life on the peace of God. The Lord wants you to look at the next couple of weeks and then let's look beyond couple of couple of weeks of this Christmas season into 2016, into the next decade, decade of your life. And he doesn't want you to see a life of chaos, a life of confusion, a life of striving and not getting any place. There, there's peace before you. And the peace, it's, it's very much defined through Jesus. The dawn from on high has appeared and it shows our feet the way of peace. This time of year, for whatever reason, we eat quite a bit of Italian food. Do you? There's something, is it because the red marinara sauce reminds us of Christmas and we feel like we need to be more Christmassy and we're tired of all the carbs from Thanksgiving. And so we take all the carbs in a new way. And so I like all the chain Italian restaurants around here. Olive Garden's great. Carabas is great. Maggiano's downtown is great. Those are all places that we enjoy to go from time to time. There used to be a restaurant here in Hendersonville. That's not a chain. There was only one of them called Nana Rosa's. Man, that got you guys excited. 
Nana Rosa closed down and Tiffany, her parents owned that restaurant and they moved away and they're back in the area and I don't know of any plans for them to open a restaurant yet, but it was good. It was the real stuff, authentic Italian food. And you didn't go there if you were in a hurry. You went there if you wanted a good, authentic New York style Italian food. I shouldn't be giving this illustration this close to lunch hour, should I? So sometimes when I would go in there, I didn't have to really look over the menu because I figured out how to get the best meal. I would ask the owner, his name was Skip, and I would ask, hey, what is Skip special today? And there would be a recipe that he liked, or it may be unique, or it may be the ingredients may be more fresh. And so it wasn't just identifying the name of something on a menu. Uh, sometimes Skip would come out and he would tell me about this recipe. He would tell me about how he imported the special ingredients. He may sometimes tell us a story behind the recipe from back in New York. And it became more than just a meal. It was an experience. Why? Because it wasn't just one of these chain restaurants, which I also enjoy, but it was an experience because we were closely connected with the owner of the restaurant. In the early 1980s, there was another Italian restaurant in New York that made really good pizza. The chef there made such good pizza that they opened next door a place only for pizza. And this guy named John made pizza that people would come and line up to get. And John made great pizzas. They, the pizzas were so good, people started calling him Papa. And Papa John's opened a second restaurant and a 15th and probably a 1500th restaurant. But whenever I go to Papa John's down the street here, which I've done a few times myself, I enjoy their pizza. I'm, I've never seen John himself here in Hendersonville, looking over his pizzas, telling stories about his pizza, making sure his pizza was perfect because it's just more of a functionary a restaurant now, a, a place to pick up food. What's my point besides making you hungry and benefiting all the Italian establishments here in our county? Here's my point. My point is, is the closer we are to the owner or the originator, or the chef, or the creator, the closer we are to them, the purer the experience is. And the further away we get, it's still good. Just, it's just not quite as good. It's not quite as fulfilling. And we don't get the original intention. Here, here's my second point today for the scripture is saying is that the coming of the Lord is purifying his people. And I want you to see here is that with, with Jesus is a more pure experience. And we're going to read Malachi again, and it's going to sound like a negative experience at first. But stick with me because I believe the Lord's going to show you otherwise. Malachi chapter 3 verse 2 is a good question. Who can endure the day of his coming? And who will be able to stand when he appears? If you understand the gospel, the answer implies nobody. And that is certainly true. When I stand before a holy and righteous and perfect God, my sinfulness, my weakness, my humanity, my inability to have self-control over my life 
uh, my sinful nature that we've inherited. Many times no fault from our own, we've inherited as part of the human race. Since sin entered the world from the garden, sin has perpetuated itself to every human being except Jesus himself. So here it is. Who can endure the day of his coming and who will be able to stand when he appears? Well, thankfully, this scripture pointed us to the need for a savior and we know that answer now. Because of Jesus and only because of Jesus can we stand on that day of judgment. But now the scripture goes on and It gives more description about what the coming of the Lord will bring. It says it this way, for he will be a refiner's fire and like cleansing lye. If you don't know what cleansing lye is, it's essentially soap. Verse three, he will be like a refiner and purifier of silver. silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. Now, these are really, really powerful metaphors for us. We know that cloth or or valuable linen were reused in the ancient world. And to be reused, they were often re-dyed because a new dye would give it a new purpose. But if the garment wasn't cleansed, if it didn't have the soap, if the oil wasn't removed and the dirt wasn't removed when it would be die for the purpose of the owner, it would be corrupted and it wouldn't be what the owner wanted it to be. So it is, this is a good explanation for our lives that we need the presence of Jesus. The presence of Jesus is like soap. It really is. It's a, there's a cleansing part of, about being around the presence of Jesus. It cleanses us. It separates the dirt from our life. It separates the, the, the negative oils from our life that stain and stain us and keep us from being everything God wants us to be. And so it is that when we come together for regular worship, and when your kid participates in youth service and in January, when we get Awana back and your children comes to Awana, you are literally washing them in the presence of Jesus and in the word of God. And you're washing yourself. When we have daily devotions, when you take the Advent calendar, the little bookmarks that Pastor Deborah made for us last week, and I know this service, we ran out of them. So hopefully there's more for you. And there's certainly uh, on the website under current news. This reading plan during Advent season, when you get into the scriptures like the ones we're looking at today and you meditate on them and you read them and they become part of you, it cleanses you. It washes things out of your life. And this is what the coming of the Lord does. The coming of the Lord. The, the, The coming of the Lord means that he is going to cleanse sin from our lives. And sometimes we think this is a negative thing. We think that the judgment of God is bad for us. But because we have the grace of Jesus in our life and because Jesus paid the price for our sins, he adopted us as children. He wrote our name in the Lamb's book of life. You know, we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. We are his. So now when he comes to judge our lives and he comes and he brings like a soap to our lives and he comes and he separates the dirt from us, that's a good thing from us. A cleansing of the Lord is not bad. It's good. It makes us everything God wants us to be.
In the ancient world, the commodity of the ancient world was metals, gold and silver and others. You know, in our days, uh, our money's not backed up by gold anymore. So essentially, there, there's a lot of theories that it's not even worth anything anymore. But the commodity of real gold and silver, to test it, it had to be able to survive the refiner's fire because the fire burned away the impurities. And that which was real, the gold that was real, and the silver that was real, it wasn't damaged by the fire, it was made pure by the fire. This is what our precious Jesus does for us. Our precious Jesus, he comes and his fire comes. When, when the advent happens and the incarnation happens and when Jesus comes, he does judge the world because he is qualified to do so. And his judgment is good for us because the fire of the Lord burns away the stuff that doesn't belong. So we don't have to fear judgment. We long for it because Jesus as soap, Jesus as fire cleanses, he washes, he purifies, and it's better for us. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter three. See, there's, there's things about me that God doesn't like. Now I know for people in my generation who we were raised to have high self images, this is really hard for us to hear. Oh no, that sounds disturbing. That sounds upsetting, but it's true. You know, there's things about me that God doesn't like. He loves me, but there's sin in my life he doesn't like. And you know, the truth is there's things about myself I don't like. I, I don't say this to you because I have some kind of negative self image and I'm not confident and I don't like who I am. I mean, everyone struggles to, with that to some degree, but I don't think that's a big struggle for me. My wife wouldn't think so because she thinks I'm a little cocky probably. I'm just joking. But, but here, here's, here's the point. Here's the point that I'm making. The, the point that I'm making is this, is I know there's things about myself that I don't like because I know the thoughts that I have and I know the mixed emotions that I have. And, and I know how misspoken words uh, have damaged people. And I've spoken words I can never get back. And there's probably something I spoke to someone 25 years ago that probably haunts them because that's what sin does. Sin damages and hurts. Okay? There's things about me that I don't like. But when I stand before God and, I, and, I, and the fire of his presence and the, the book of Revelation tells us there's fire in his eyes. When I look into the eyes of Jesus, he's gonna burn away the stuff in me that doesn't belong. And I don't fear that because of his grace. I long for his purity. And so here, we're gonna look at a great, a great illustration of this that Paul gave. This scripture won't need a lot of explanation. It's just so good. According to God's grace that was given to me, I've laid a foundation as a skilled master builder and another builds on it. So Paul's gonna use the house as a metaphor for our lives, building a physical home, as a metaphor for our, 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 the way we live our lives. But each one must be careful how he builds on it. For no one can lay any other foundation than what has been laid. That foundation is Jesus Christ. That's a good place. Can we say amen to that? Right? So Jesus is the, the basis of this whole thing. If he's not the foundation, we've got it wrong. But it, verse 12 says, if anyone builds on that foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, 
Those are good things. Are wood, hay, or straw. Those are not so good things in this context. Verse 13. Each one's work will become obvious for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. There is that fire again. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. If if anyone's work that he has built survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, it will be lost, but he will be saved. Yet it will be like an escape through the fire. You're gonna wanna spend some more time with that scripture. That scripture says a lot there. But for our purposes today, this is what the scripture is saying is that when in Malachi chapter three, verse two and three, he says, I'm bringing my fire and I'm bringing my soap to cleanse the church. Can we look at verse two again in Malachi, Malachi chapter three? There's something I forgot to tell you and I'm glad the Lord reminded me of this. Who, who can endure the day the Lord has coming and who, who will be able to stand? For he will be like a refiner's fire and cleansing lie. Go to the next slide, excuse me. He will be like a refiner and purifier of silver. Now here's an important point we didn't mention. He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. You know, the sons of Levi were the leaders of the, of the spiritual community. The sons of Levi were those who took care of the temple. And so the refining work of God starts with the leadership of the church. So we need to pray that there would be more purity within the leadership of the church. Now, and I want you to see this too. Judgment is not meant for people outside of the church first. Judgment starts in the house of God. We need more of Jesus We need more of Jesus, more of his fire to purify us, to purify our motives, to purify our intentions, to burn away the sin, to wash away the impurities. You know, sometimes that we can get dirty even when we're not trying to get dirty. We we can just be walking outside and the heat makes us sweat or even sometimes pollution can give us smut and I need to wash our hair, whatever the case is. We're not even doing anything wrong, but we just get dirty anyway. So it is in this culture. Sometimes we're walking along and we just still need the washing of God's presence because we just kind of get dirty just from living life. And we need the fire of his presence. That's a good thing for us. Here's the last thing I want to say is number three, he will restore pure worship. He will restore pure worship. Look at Verse three and four there. Then they will present offerings to the Lord in righteousness, not in unrighteousness, but in righteousness. When Jesus comes, when he comes, they're gonna present offerings in righteousness and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will please the Lord as in days of old and years gone by. Now, I know often we talk about these sermons like God's doing a new thing and don't worry about the past. And sometimes that applies. But sometimes, and, and this scripture tells us, sometimes when we've drifted from the ways of God and we've drifted from the scripture and we've drifted away from a prayer-centered, Jesus-centered uh, church and we've drifted away from holiness, that it's okay for God to say, hey, I want to restore God's people to the way they're supposed to be and the way they've been in the past. And while God's doing a new thing in all of us, some of you, you've 
tasted God's presence before and you've been a man or woman of the word, but you're simply not anymore. And the Lord says, return to the way you were. Return, repent today. Return back to the ways of God. Return back to the place that you were. Say, that's not fun to hear. Yes, it is. God is loving you right now. That's part of his fire. That's part of his washing right now. He's saying, get back to the place that you're supposed to be. Get back to that place that I want you to be, that I've created you to be. Jesus was having this conversation with a Samaritan woman. She had a life that, that was not morally um, respectable. And when he spoke to her heart, she wanted to change the subject and get into a religious debate. I mean, a religious debates often take us away from the heart issue. And Jesus finally kind of ended this debate about the Samaritan and Jewish religion by saying this in John chapter four, verse 23 through 24. But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and truth. Yes, the father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. This is the pure worship. God's people, we drift to impure worship very closely. Now, if you don't believe, let me just remind you about the New Testament, the book of Galatians. You know what the problem was there? They had begun with the Holy Spirit and now they were into legalism. Just a few decades after Jesus ascended into heaven, the Corinthian church they were strong in the spirit, but they weren't strong in morality. They weren't strong in truth. They had all types of sin occurring in their church. They had all types of disorder in their church. And if you think about this, if you're familiar with your New Testament, both Galatians and 1 Corinthians that come to mind right now, and if we thought hard enough, there would be other examples, are two examples of, of God's people not, no longer worshiping pure. And a corrective word came. And a corrective word said, no, church of Galatia, worship by the Spirit. And to the church of Corinth, listen, have standards and have truth and have morality. It's both. It's both the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. They are not competitors. They're the same thing. They work in concert and they work together. Jesus says this, the coming of the Lord says, I want people to worship me in spirit and in truth. That's what the Father wants. That's what the Father wants. This is where peace comes from. Because when we, when we don't worship in truth and we're, we're under delusion and we're taking God's word and we're twisting it or we're ignoring God's word, there's no freedom there. There's no peace. Can I tell you, there's no peace when you are a standard to yourselves. There's peace when there's a wise God who's your standard. There's no peace when your heart is so cold and it's hard that there's no chance for the Holy Spirit to move. You see, Jesus has come and he's come to give you peace. It's not circumstantial peace. His peace is him. His peace is his presence. So we thank you, Lord. Would you pray with me right now?